Weddings, college graduations, your stepmom placing third in a dog grooming competition. We've all got reasons to gift this summer, so give them something they'll love, drinks. And get them all from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on beer, wine, spirits, then get them delivered in time for your summer celebrations. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Today, our guest is an amazing guy. His name is Victor Shea. Victor was the youngest delegate for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. He's an organizer and an activist, and Victor has become one of the key voices in analyzing the Gen Z movement. Gen Z was absolutely vital to the Democrats' successful 2022 election cycle. And Victor called it earlier and more intently than most people did. So I want to talk to Victor today a little bit about Gen Z, their role in this election, their role in coming elections, and what he sees on the horizon for the newest politically active generation in America. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. (laughs) I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Victor, welcome to The Enemies List. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so great to be with you. Well, really appreciate you coming on with us today. Um, So... You were one of the first people, and you and I were DMing or emailing about it early in the summer. You were like, Gen Z is going to turn out. They are going to come out. What was it that gave you that confidence in in there that they were going to deliver this year? And what did you see on the horizon about Gen Z that that led you to to lead that charge of telling people they were going to be the, the key factor? Sure. So I really started talking about Gen Z, oh, I don't know, it was a little bit before summer, but it was kind of this new energy that I sensed with from Gen Z in terms of how they looked at the world, this kind of broader political landscape. And it really kind of started with uh, kind of back in, uh, I think, during the springtime when Florida was banning uh, kind of critical race theory conversations, or mm-hmm. I guess what you can talk about in classrooms, um, LGBTQ expression. And that was kind of the first moment where I think young people were just kind of really aware of this Republican party and what it was trying to do. And then I would say after the leaked Dobbs, Dobbs decision, that was another key point for Gen Z, uh, where Gen Zers basically kind of realized that this was a moment where every single right that they thought was a guarantee in their life was kind of at risk. And so um, the Dobbs decision back in June really solidified that moment. And so ever since then, you've seen a ton of young people really kind of register to vote, make their voices heard. And I think it was key um, in part because of what happened with uh, Roe and and the Supreme Court's Mm -hmm. decision to overturn that, but also at the same time, a bunch of great things from uh, the Biden administration in terms of things that we really care about that they've accomplished and delivered. Uh, Would one of those be the college loan amnesty or, or forgiveness? I would say absolutely that, but also um, the climate change uh, kind of, which is weaved within the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, that was the largest historic kind of investment into climate change. And there were kind of problems with messaging in the sense that it was kind of all lumped together. But young people realized that, you know, for an issue that they care so deeply about climate change, this administration was able to get it done. 
Right, right, right. And I, yeah, I think I do think. Interestingly, the Biden administration they explicitly and implicitly kind of understood there were things that fall into that like right thing to do category, but also helpful politically category. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the right thing to do is just, you know, things like, you know, reforming gun safety uh, in classrooms, doing things like climate change. Um, I think all of those things are just the right thing to do. But also as a result of doing the right thing, it also helped them politically. And so um, I think that's a, that's an interesting model for the Democratic Party. Is, and I think it's pretty a simple model that I wish the Republican Party um, knew more about. It's just if you do the right thing, if you pa- pass things that people actually care about, you will be rewarded the ballot box and people will actually kind of resonate with, with what you're trying to do. And so um, I think that was a model that the Biden administration kind of really um, took advantage of. And as a result, young people uh, rewarded them. Would you say that some of it's also the kind of weird boomer tonality of like conspiracies and darkness and strange, you know, election denialism and all that of this sort of what the people that that make up what what most Americans perceive to be the Trump demo, which is, you know, 65-year-old white guys. I, I think that played a large factor in terms of kind of why we showed up to vote, because a lot of, I guess, that age or that demographic specifically, I think, kind of cast us aside and, and really um, underestimated just how much power we had at the ballot box. And if there's one thing about Gen Z that I think rings true across the board, it's that we really don't like being uh, told uh, what we don't do right. And so we like to kind of prove everyone wrong. And so this generation, I think we kind of looked at that backdrop and we turned out to vote and we were really kind of just fed up with this extremism and this kind of um, effort to kind of really sow conspiracy theories into uh, uh, the electorate. And so um, one of the polls that we did um, over at Voters of Tomorrow, which is a group I'm a part of, just mm-hmm. asked people, you know, what do you think of this political landscape? And um, overwhelmingly, young people supported uh, the right to access abortion, but at the same time, they were just completely fed up with this Republican Party and just the extreme attempts to, to sow division and hate and fear. So, Victor, this year, I think that one of the things we were seeing in our in our research um, that made a big difference after this, uh, especially in the Wisconsin governor's race and in the Arizona uh, governor's race, was that college campuses turned out at levels that we had not seen since the nineteen the the mid nineteen eighties when there was a sort of a bump of college campus activity and voting. Um, what kind of organizing are you guys doing at Voters of Tomorrow at that level and beyond? to make sure that Gen Z like gets in the habit of voting as they go forward. So you're so right about those states. So it, it was Arizona, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, that really saw turnout just skyrocketed among 2018, or compared to 2018 rates. Um, and, and you're also so right about just this habit of voting. For young people, the earlier you can get someone to vote, the more likely it is that they're gonna make that into a habit uh, the later down uh, kind of in their life. And so um, we know at Voters of Tomorrow that the earlier you can do that, the more likely they'll kind of get in that kind of formation of voting. And so part of the thing that we try to do at Voters of Tomorrow, some of the things that I try to do um, as just an activist and organizer, is make sure that the institutions that young people are part of support that model of voting, that habit of voting. So for instance, um, in some of those places like um, University of Wisconsin-Madison or University of Michigan, those are states that had 
just voting centers on campus. They had mail-in ballot drop boxes on campus. They supported young people and their efforts to go vote. Um, at the same time, I mean, it's also sad because at a place like University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, you had wait times up to six hours on election day. And so I think there has to be kind of further reforms. Hopefully we can bring in more voting centers on campuses, but a lot of it kind of starts with institutions and schools kind of doing their part to one, register voters and make those opportunities available, provide the resources for young people to um, do that and register to vote and, and go out there and vote. And then also just kind of on election day, making sure that, you know, things like um, maybe no classes on election day or making sure that there are multiple uh, voting centers. So all of those things, I think, kind of foster this uh, uh, support for young people and really making them uh, understand the importance of voting. Um, and, and just in terms of those four states, if I can make a conjecture about why I thought those um, few states were kind of the highest, those were also the states that expanded voting opportunities compared to 2018. So a place like Pennsylvania in 2018 didn't have universal uh, mail-in ballots. And 2022, they did. Same with Michigan. And those are the states that also had the kind of largest increase in uh, youth voter turnout to, uh, compared to 2018. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. As a listener to this podcast, you know democracy is in danger in America and beyond. This titanic challenge requires a powerful response, and that's why Resolute Square was founded. The Enemies List is part of the Resolute Square family. We're a pro-democracy network. The Enemies List is just one part of Resolute Square's pro-democracy content and coverage. Our members get particularly exciting benefits. Exclusive live roundtable discussions with me, Joe Trippi, Reed Galen, Stuart Stevens, and Tara Setmayer. In those discussions, you can ask us questions directly as if you are in the room at a campaign strategy session. In these sessions, we'll give folks answers on how to fight back against the crazy, how to push back against the MAGA media, and how to communicate effectively in the battle for our democracy. We're building a new arsenal for democracy, and we could use your support. Head over to ResoluteSquare.com enemies to let the world know where you stand. Everybody's got a morning ritual. I know I do. And I want to feel like I'm getting my day going. I want to feel like I'm moving. And more than coffee sometimes, it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet, the craft handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back, do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. For now, they're offering the craft handle starter set for 10 bucks. It's a $17 value. So this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle, the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. Well, I do think there's also a degree of, um, uh, you know, I, I know groups like, like over at the Lincoln Project, we were hitting both college campuses and HBCUs uh, with, a, with an ad at the end that tested out through the roof with Leslie Jones in it. Like this kind of defiant sense of, of like, 
don't let them say no to you. Don't let them push you around. And I think that kind of caught that Gen Z attitude of, it seems like different, the millennials seem a little more passive about it in some ways. And I think that it strikes me that the Gen Z voters are a little more like defiant of being told no. I completely agree. I think there is this kind of, we were talking about this earlier, but there is this kind of unique thing about Gen Z where we just don't settle for no as an answer. If we, if someone tells us no, we think of another way to do it. And so Gen Z really kind of plays this active role of, you know, if we do hear someone who might be older than us tell us that our vote doesn't matter, or, you know, all of these people saying that, you know, young people are staying home, young people like to prove them wrong. And so this election, you saw that clearly with just, just looking at the number of people who waited in line, kind of going back to the University of Michigan, you had wait times up to six hours long and young people didn't go home. They didn't uh, you know, tap out. They stayed in line and they waited in line and they made sure that their voice was counted. And I think a large part of that is because of just this kind of political environment that we're facing where we no longer take uh, things like uh, abortion rights or uh, interracial marriage for granted because all of those things uh, we kind of understood, I think, that we're on the chopping block. And one of the most interesting things, too, about kind of this past election was that it wasn't uh, young Democrats who stayed home. While overall, I think the uh, youth voter turnout was slightly lower compared to 2018, the biggest mm-hmm. demographic that stayed home was actually young Republicans. Um, compared to 2018, their turnout actually uh, either dropped or slightly increased. And so that's, I think, what kind of brought some of that Gen Z vote down. But overwhelmingly, uh, young Democrats turn out to vote in force. And I think part of that was because they wouldn't settle for this reality that some people were trying to kind of make for them. So what are you working on now, Victor? What's your, what is, what is your, I mean, I know we're all having a little mini, mini a breather here between, uh, between election day and the, and the coming chaos. What are you, what are you focusing on in 2023 and 24? Oh gosh, I'm not sure there is such a breather in politics and you know that better than anyone else. Um, it's like right after uh, the midterm, it's like we have to focus on Georgia and then 2024, but you're right. There, there was a, I, I was able to relax over the weekend and um, that was much needed. But in terms of what's coming ahead, I mean, Georgia is going to be an all hands on deck effort because um, I think there's kind of this lack of awareness mm-hmm. among just the general electorate. There's no reason why I think the general electorate should know this, but between a 50-50 Senate and a 51-49 Senate and just what that does for Democrats. And so um, I'm doing everything I can along with Voters of Tomorrow and a bunch of just Gen Z organizers um, down in Georgia, making sure that we turn out the Gen Z vote because in 2020, uh, that's what allowed someone like John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock to get elected. They really catered to young people mm-hmm. and then we turned out to vote and that's what got them elected. And this time around, Gen Zers make up about 17% of the voting electorate. And so every single vote counts as, as an election, as you know, that's going to be all about turnout. And so we're trying to get every Gen Zer out there and voting for Raphael Warnock because uh, the other guy is just... Um, a bit revolting. And so we're trying to get that out there. But then also uh, with Trump's announcement uh, this week uh, for 2024, we know that right after Georgia, yes, pretty exceptional. I mean, uh, it depends how you define exceptional. It's it's totally um, uh, absurd. I mean, part of the argument that he made was, you know, uh, as president, uh, I oversaw, or I guess there were no wars for decades. And I mean, that was just one of the stupidest things I think that he said. And I think we should all be alarmed by it too. I mean, this is someone who's serious and could have a good chance of winning, but because of people like uh, you and, and groups like the Lincoln Project, hopefully we can kind of push back enough. But so far it's Georgia. And then right after Georgia, it, we're going to be gearing up for uh, 2024. What are you working on? What are you going to focus on in the 24 cycle ahead of us? I know that's a little premature. Uh, it's a little ahead of the curve, but it bears thinking about as you look at a presidential race coming forward. Basically, after Georgia, um, hopefully we can get a little bit more 
kind of rest time, but kind of in the weeks after Georgia, what we're going to be focusing on is number one, making sure that Donald Trump doesn't uh, win office. And I think that's going to be everyone from uh, independents to uh, kind of traditional conservative Republicans to young people doing their part to making sure that Donald Trump doesn't hold uh, office again. It's interesting because I think President Biden is pretty intent on running. So if he does run, I'm not sure that I expect any other Democrats to run. And even if they do, that would be a, I think, in my opinion, just a bad decision. So we're focused on making sure that President Biden gets reelected uh, after Georgia and that anyone who uh, is Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, who is extreme Republican, doesn't come near uh, the Oval Office. So that kind of mirrors a lot of what we did during the midterm elections and then what we're going to do in Georgia, which is meeting young people where they are on college campuses, making sure that all of them have the resources to vote in 2024, making sure that the new eligible voters that, are, that couldn't vote in 2022 or in the Georgia election can register to vote, make sure they make their voices heard. And so that's going to be kind of uh, top of mind for, for me and, and some of the uh, young activists across the country. One of the things about Gen Z and, and this generation, so there was this interesting study that I read that said Gen Z and millennials are basically on track to outnumber any older generation by 2024. So part of it is, like you said, really laying the groundwork. So for um, future voters in, in 2024, they can have all the kind of tools and um, equipment that they need to register to vote, to go to the ballot box. And part of that is just relational organizing, starting at a young age. So making sure that we have these individual conversations with um, people who may not be able to vote, who, who you know, might kind of look at politics as this big daunting process, but kind of starting with you know, uh, ineligible voters and then making sure that we make them know that you know, their voice is important and their voice is gonna matter in 2024. And a lot of it too is also kind of going into high schools and making sure that uh, classes uh, provide opportunities and resources for registering to vote. I think that's key because the younger you can get someone to realize that politics isn't really that scary, you can make a difference no matter how small, um, I think it becomes much more empowering than to kind of go out there and, and cast your ballot. So I think it's all about kind of starting small and, and starting in where kind of all a lot of students are, whether it be high schools or colleges, and then working up from there. Excellent, excellent. So, well, Victor, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Um, and and where can people find you on social media and where, where can they find more about uh, Voters of Tomorrow? Yeah, so I'm uh, mostly on Twitter. So VictorShe2020 is my handle. Uh, I'm on Instagram, victor.she12. Um, and then Voters of Tomorrow, you can find us also on Twitter, Instagram, Voters of Tomorrow. And then our website is votersoftomorrow.org. All right. Well, Victor, thank you again so very much. And uh, safe travels. And uh, we'll talk again very soon. Thanks so much for having me on. Today's Enemies List is a group of people you love to hate. It's the Republican donor class. You fucking guys. I love it. You're posturing. You're swinging your dicks around. Oh, we're going to be with DeSantis and we're going to shut this field down. Guess what you're all going to do? Guess what every fucking one of you is going to do? When Trump starts eating the lunch of DeSantis and and Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo and every other rando, Josh Hawley, every other rando who gets in this campaign, you guys are all going to run like a bunch of scalded dogs back to daddy. You're going to all endorse Trump again. You're going to write him checks. You're going to all pretend that nothing ever happened and it was all sweetness and light. Every one of you, and many of you I used to talk to back in the day, 
every one of you in 2015 and 16 were like, I'm with Jeb to the end. I'm with Marco to the end. Chris Christie's the greatest thing since prepared mustard. I'm never going to break. I'm never going to support Trump. And every fucking one of you bent the knee. So stop pretending. Stop patting yourselves on the back. Stop going out to your golf club and saying to your other friends like, well, we've got Trump on the run now because every fucking one of you is on the enemies list. You know, you guys could either do one of two things. You can sit it out. You can wait. You can sit this one out because you know the outcomes are terrible. Or you can get your shit together because right now you're on the enemies list. 